Did anybody say anything outside when someone said, what's your favorite thing to do on a bitterly cold day? No one, go, did anyone, are there any outside folks? No. That's what I thought. If you've ever been to Arizona, you wonder why people live in Arizona. Now you know. Now you know why people would live in Arizona. Well, good morning. My name is Craig. Oh, sorry. There are people from Arizona in here. I forgot. Arizona's lovely. Sonora, you know, we like it. Last week, we hit pause. We've been going through the book of John. We said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We, we got to hit pause. There's something really important we need to do. We need to clarify what we're doing, who we are, what we're doing, what, what in the world are we about? And we said, we want to clarify our priority as a church family. What do we care about? What are we all about here? And we said we have one priority. Again, that, that may sound redundant because before the 18th century, the word priority was singular. It's a very modern thing to have priorities. Our priority around here is spiritual formation. We echo Paul when he said he has the pains of labor until Christ is formed in us. That's what we're doing. We want to solidify our focus around that. Spiritual formation. And we define spiritual formation. That was last week. Last week we said, what is spiritual formation? Well, spiritual formation is this. Spiritual formation is a growing awareness of our union with Christ, which results in the character of Christ coming out of us. So there's two parts to that. There is a being, our union with Christ. We are something. And then there is also a doing. Have you ever wondered why on the cross, one of the things Jesus said as he's hanging on the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Fast forward a little bit. Stephen is being stoned. No, he's not getting stoned. He's be they're throwing rocks at him. It's clarity's sake. They're trying to kill him. They're killing him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. In Acts 7, verse 60. Why does that happen? Stephen is in the spiritual formation process where he is spontaneously acting like Jesus. Life's challenges have come his way and Jesus' character comes out. That's the goal. And we want to be crystal clear about this. I have a concern. I'm a, I'm a very nice person. I mean, I think I am. And we really, our priority around here is we really want you to know that you're loved by God. The way we talk about the gospel, we put it through the language of attachment theory, actually. We're like, God has said, I am for you. I'm on your side. I'm coming after you. I love you. I'm here to meet your needs. And he's done that in Jesus. And it doesn't stop at Jesus. It keeps going. And I think a danger that we can fall into is that we just really want to make sure you understand that and we just stay there. Now, this is where it gets very dangerous. How do we, how do we talk about what's next? And how do we talk about what's next in a way that doesn't alienate what came before it? Because it's not like we grow because we abandon the love of God. That's not what we're saying. We're saying, we're saying discipleship 
is a growing awareness. Spiritual formation, growth, is a growing awareness of our union with Jesus. That he is with us. His presence, his relational presence has been gifted to us. And we can grow. So we want to be very crystal clear about how that takes place. And my concern is, it's very easy to catch bad ideas sometimes. And, and the only reason we're catching bad ideas is because like preachers and teachers just aren't clear. Like, oh yeah, that's what it's like. All right, go do that for 10 years. And it's like, well, well, wait. Like sometimes we just catch these ideas and they get lodged in there. And I just want to be crystal clear about what we're talking about when it comes to spiritual formation. You and I, we were made to grow. It is not a design flaw that you don't know everything when you're three years old. It's not, it's not like, oh, God's creation's broken. My three-year-old doesn't get physics. If you were to look through all the top relational podcasts, you would not find a relational expert who's seven. I looked. Now, there, of course, there may be some insights that we can get from seven-year-olds, like, as I do. I learn lots of things from my seven-year-old. And development has only had enough time to hit a certain spot. Right, so I can learn things from my seven-year-old, but sometimes it's put through the filter of, well, even a broken clock is right twice a day. That's not to, if you're in here and you're seven, you're like, hey, that's not to minimize it. You can only be as mature as a seven-year-old. That's a gift. That's a, you can't be a mature 55-year-old. You're just seven. Receive that gift. But that's not a design flaw in creation. We were made good in Genesis 1, and we were made incomplete. We need formation. That's why it's so, it just sucks the air out of the room when we meet people who are just waiting out the clock. When you, those people you work with, you know that they're going to retire in five years, and so they show up on the job, and you're, okay, we got to do this, we got to do this, these three things. And they're like, well, one will work. Like, no, no, we need three. Yeah, we can get by with one. It's like, oh, just so discouraging when you're with people who are just, why do they like that? Well, because they know. Yeah, they'll get back with one, no one will notice, and then they retire, and by the time they're gone, it's not their problem. And so disheartening. Why? Because we weren't made to just wait out the clock. You know what's even more disheartening than, than working with someone who's just trying to wait out the clock? Being a church that's trying to wait out the clock. Where it's like, yeah, had a great heyday in the 70s. Whew, man, that was awesome. Don't really believe anything else is coming, so we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. Or you'll get to come to my funeral. We're not here to wait out the clock. And how we decide what we do is just as important as what we decide to do. We genuinely believe that we were made for formation. And I think that actually solves one of the mysteries of Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1, there's a big mystery that haunted me for years. Not really, but it, was, it did make me scratch my head. Several times in the creation account, when God makes animals, plants, birds, fish, you name it. When he makes them, he, he uses this phrase. The biblical author uses this phrase. God made plants 
according to their kind. God made the sea creatures according to their kind. Again and again, so you can see right here in Genesis 1, 11, verse 12, verse 21, 24, 25. Again and again, according to their kind, according to their kind. But then God makes people. And you expect it to say, so God made man and woman according to their kind. And that's a totally true statement. I, I'm not a tiger. I'm not, I'm not a fern. I'm a person. I'm according to that kind. That's not what's said, though. It says, in the image of God, he created the male and female. Why the difference? Well, many theologians, many scholars throughout the ages, including uh, Gregory, including Augustine, including G.K. Chesterton, so we're in good company here. This is what they believe about this. Part of what it means to be in the image of God is God is a creator. And so to be created in the image of God means this. Hey, human beings are put here to create. And they're not, they, the creation, the formation process starts with them. Human beings create and do formation on themselves. They're made good, but they're made incomplete. We call that learning. We call that growth. We call that development. Do you know the number one selling type of book out there? Nonfiction. Why? Because people are saying, I want to grow. I want to learn. How do I do this? The question for us today is not, are you in a formation process? It's, what formation process are you in? Are we in Jesus' formation process, where we're learning to be more like him, where we're responding with the character of Jesus, where every year we're a little more kind? Where every year we're, we're getting faster at returning to joy when we're, we get disrupted by that? Or are we in another formation process? Because look, we're sharks, baby. Yeah, you know what that means, right? We're good. No, no. Sharks got to keep moving. If they stop moving, they die. That's what we are. We, we are constantly... If, if I were to say, hey, don't worry. You're loved. Just wait out the clock. You would not truly wait out the clock. You would find something to form you. And my concern is, we've gotten so bad about talking about this. Dallas Willard, who was, it, it, he saw it as his job to help the church get obsessed with spiritual formation. It deeply, deeply concerned him that he's, he's been to so many churches and there's so many classes, but there's never been a class called the Curriculum for Christ-likeness. Right? How do you actually be like Jesus? My concern is we just get people busy. And we're busy doing good things, meaningful things, but we're not. We lose sight of who we are. So we're going we're gonna to really talk about, how, all right, how do we do this spiritual formation? And this week, we're not going to go too in the weeds. There's, twin, there's these twin dangers that preachers have. On the one side, one of these dangers is that we're just very vague, and we're so vague, you leave here like, mm-hmm, I totally got that. That was great. Like, like, let me give you an example. Love your neighbor. Yeah, you should do that. That's great. I do that. I love all my neighbors, all right? Because it's vague, all right? Love your neighbor, then we get a little less vague. When their dog keeps peeing on your bushes, and you have this missing spot in just one bush, and you've asked them to stop. Love your neighbor when they ignore that. Okay, let's well, get a little trickier. 
Now, that's one danger. We just keep it vague, and we're all like, yeah, Jesus had the Pharisees do that. So you affirm the prophets, but you also kill the prophets. And like, hey. We don't want to also, though, get too uber-specific and put burdens on you that crush you. My spiritual formation plan is mine. It's not yours. Why? I'm not you. What feeds my soul, what's nourishing for me, may be death for you. There's a person in here. They're in the back row over there. I'm not going to say who they are, but they're very tall. And what they do with their day off and what I do with my day off, I would die if I did that. There would not be a day off. I'd be like, wow, I just like built a truck and I just did all this work and I mowed all these. This was, this was like, oh, this was like, I have a job. But oh man, that was so restful. Because we're different. And so one of the dangers we can come into on a Sunday morning is like, all right, we, we as a church community, we want to pray more. I'm like, yes. So here's how you do that. You wake up at 6.30. And before you pray, you probably should get your blood moving a little bit. So we're going to do a workout. So from 6.30 to 7, we're going to do a little bit of like probably a mixture of like strength, hit, and yoga. So we're going to get that done. Then from 7 to 7.15, well, you got to make your coffee because it's easier to pray with coffee. So you're going to get your coffee. Then we're going to, from 7.15 to 7.45 is prayer time. As soon as we start doing that, we've, if A, you're still listening after we're done, all we've done is just put a massive burden on you. Here's what good Christians do. Like we talked about last week, this is what mature Christians do. We want to talk about spiritual formation in a way that's not so vague that you're like, I'm nailing spiritual formation, I'm, I've arrived. And not so specific where you're like, all right, here we go. So we're going to try to find that sweet spot, and we're not going to hit it. Like if you, I mean, there's no silver bullet. We're going to probably err on the side of too specific where you're like, I'm not doing that. Or too broad where you're like, I don't know what that looks like. But we're going to keep coming back to things. We're going to keep, we say this a lot around here. Every week you hear three voices. You hear the voice of the preacher. You hear your own voice. And you hear the voice of the Spirit of God. So it, it, not this week. We're not going to get too, too specific. But we're going to try to give ideas of like, hey, here's a way you can pray more. And if you're like, well... I can't do that, but I can do this. Then we've done our job. Like, yeah, that's great. We're just, we're trying to be specific to spur ideas on to help you get involved in the spiritual formation process. Because I really believe if, if our one priority is spiritual formation that does involve habits, that involves getting things done, but we're going to do it as Christians, and that's what today is all about. You are Spider-Man, not Batman. That is Paul's vision for how we grow as Christians. This is, many people, I don't, I don't fully resonate with this, but I get why they say it. Many people have called the book of Romans the greatest letter ever written. I don't really agree with that. I think that's silly, but it's a great letter. And the mountain peak of Romans is Romans chapter 8. If you understand the difference between Spider-Man and Batman, you understand Romans 8. Christians are Spider-Man and Miles Morales Spider-Man. We are not Batman. What's the difference? Batman is not really a superhero. Now, I, The, the Dark Knight is the, my favorite movie. It's like the best superhero movie ever. We're not anti-Batman. But that's not Christian formation. Batman has all his resources outside of himself. He's 
at the end of the day, a rich guy who beats up criminals. That man has a utility belt. If that man wants to fly, he's got a tool for that. I don't know, it's like a gun, a grappling hook that seems to defy how grappling hooks work. But he's got tools, resources outside of himself. That's not Christian spiritual formation. That might be religious spiritual formation. That's secular, secular spiritual formation. It's not Christian spiritual formation. Romans 8 unpacks how we are Spider-Man. We have been changed from the inside. Miles Morales doesn't need any tools. He's just been changed from the inside, and that change works its way out. That's how we talk about change. If we skip that, we have left... We have left the realm of Christianity. God fundamentally, we, we believe we are made for formation. We are made for formation, but we didn't start this formation. We were made for formation. We were made good, but hey, there's work to be done. We can grow, we can change. By the way, that helps you make sense, right? Jesus, as a young boy, he grew in wisdom and stature. Right? Even Jesus went through a growth process. We, it, we are being human when we embrace that growth process. But we didn't start that process. God has, in the gospel, deposited resources to us that make this possible. We have been changed from the inside out. Miles Morales, he doesn't need any utility belt. The change is within. And that happened on the cross. Paul is going to talk about how we, who've been saved by Jesus, the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that helps us change. So we're made for formation, but we did not start this. So we're going to talk about that. Now, before we start reading Romans 1, 8, excuse me, Romans 8, we have to clarify a couple of words. There is a word that Paul uses, and uh, that word is often translated law. Paul uses the word law about three different ways in the book of Romans, and even in our chapter. Most commentators and most translators agree that the word law is not helpful for 21st century Americans. Why? When I hear the word law, images like this come to mind. So when Paul talks about the law of sin and death, I'm like, wait, what? Rules that killed me? Is that what he's talking about? What's, what's he talking about? The law of sin and death. But he's like, don't worry. We've got the law of spirit and life. And you're like, these are laws that make me feel good? Like what? So what's happening around here? There are going to be times, two times specifically, at the, at, right out of the gate in Romans 8, when we read the word law, and a more helpful way to say that would be power. Paul talks about how sin and death have power over us. And he calls that a law. But now, something more powerful has showed up. The spirit and life. In Romans chapter 8, Paul does what like the, the writer of Proverbs does and so many Old Testament writers. He sets up a binary. You know, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about there's the fool, but then there's the wise person. There's the wicked, but then there's the righteous. In Romans 8, Paul talks about this, these poles. There's the flesh, and there's the spirit. 
Paul says this, you are not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. Many pastors, many spiritual leaders will say this, you may have heard this. There is, inside of all of us, there are two dogs. And those two dogs are waging war. One is good and our good desires, that's like the flesh. One is, or that's the spirit. And one is bad and our bad desires, that's the flesh. And they're, they're fighting. And those are our, our desires that wage war. And whichever dog you feed is the dog that wins. I can't think of a more fundamentally unbiblical idea than that. If you've heard that, I'm sorry someone said that to you. It just sets your life up for a struggle. You're never going to win. It's also not true. Paul said, there was, there's only one dog in us at a time. And one dog, sadly, we old yellered it. Jesus did it on the cross. It's dead. It's behind the shed. Don't worry about it. And we have a new dog. A spirit. That's that Spider-Man, Miles Morales. That's Romans 8. We're going to learn how do we actually change. How does that help me change? Romans 8. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. If it's true, if it's true that I'm in the spirit, I'm not in the flesh, why, why do I have such strong feelings of anger and hate? I don't spontaneously act like Jesus. We've got to talk about this first barrier, this thing called the flesh. So if you have a Bible, Romans chapter 8, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. Romans 8. 1 through 17. If you would please stand with me as we start to try to get at this. Why? If I've been changed, how come, I'm, how come I haven't arrived? Why is there still work to do? Romans 8, starting in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the power of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the power of sin and death. You see what I did there? Retracting? Okay, thank you. Because it's going to get confusing. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. At this point, you might be thinking, how hopeful, Craig. I'm glad we're reading this. Verse 9. You, however, this is really good, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you... Though even, uh, though even through your body, though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not according to the flesh to live according to that, but if you live according to the flesh, you will die. If the Spirit 
you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, and you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. This, uh, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received uh, brought about by your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus, we hear your word saying that we have these resources. That we're not in the realm of the flesh, but we're in the realm of the spirit. But God, our experience so often tells us a different story. Anger feels powerful. Lust won't give up. God, how do we experience your united spirit with us so that we can have victory, so that we can walk like Jesus, so we can experience joy? God, how do we do that in a way that's life-giving? How do we respond with the character of Jesus? I ask you all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Spiritual formation is like Spider-Man, not like Batman. Where do I get that from? Look with me uh, in Romans 8, 7, and 8. The mind governed by this thing called the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's instruction, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. The poles that Paul has set up here. Remember, he set up these, these, this binary, hey, let's compare these two things. There's on one hand, there's this thing called the flesh. And the other hand, there's this thing called the spirit. And he says this, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile toward God. What is the flesh? Paul uses the word flesh hundreds of times in the New Testament. And what he's talking about, he means our fallen humanity that is hostile to God. Our flesh is that our fallen humanity that's hostile toward God. Uh, this took me many years to understand. So if you don't understand it at the first go, don't worry. We're going to keep coming back to something like this because it's just really helpful to see. What does it mean to be a person in the Bible? There is this part of you, we can use different words to describe it. The Bible uses different words. It's like the, your soul or your spirit. It's you. It's this immaterial part of you that makes you you. The psalmist will say things like, find rest, oh my soul, in God alone. Who's he talking to? Right? It sounds like he's talking to someone else. Oh my soul. He's talking to himself. It's this part of you that makes you you. That fundamentally it makes you you. It's when you don't feel understood, this is who you're talking about. The immaterial part of you. Well, all of that is housed. You have these emotions. We have a mind. We have a will. So a human being is a, is a spirit or a soul that is then housed in a mind with emotions and a will. We have thoughts. We have desires. We have aspirations. All those things. And all of that is housed within a body. Right? You're not yourself without your body. I'll let that sink in. Well, if you ask a lot of Christian theologians, do we have a body or are we a body? They will say, yes. Everything we are is housed within our body. We were created to have an embodied experience. Something happened when we sinned against God, though, in the garden. We became fallen. And all of us became affected by sin. 
The whole realm that we live in, we call this the flesh. The flesh. It's hostile toward God. That's that negative stuff. Our thoughts are not like, man, this is my father's world and to my listening ears. No. When you're alienated from God, you're not praising, you're not worshiping, you're hostile toward God. Our emotions, our will, our aspirations to be, to be alienated from God is, hey, like, no, 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 hostile. That's what Paul says in verse 7 and 8. However, though, something happened. Romans 8 9, this is really good news. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. Wow. When we get saved, all that negative stuff flips because of the cross of Jesus. We are not in the realm of the flesh. Well, why do I still sin? It's because of Romans chapter 7. We have sin in our members, our bodies. We have learned how to navigate the world in the flesh, and we don't unlearn that overnight. I try to be very intentional around here, and I don't use the word sin often. It's not because I'm trying to like, you know, like woo you in and be like, woohoo, we don't believe in sin around here, only positive thoughts, yoohoo. I'm not trying to do any of that. I think it's a very confusing word. When I talk about sin, some people are just like, oh, that's like, uh, I should feel terrible and guilty all the time. Like, I didn't say you should do that. What's more helpful to talk about are flesh patterns. I have a way of navigating the world that created a pattern. Just like in my mind, thoughts can create grooves. My flesh creates grooves and patterns. We call those coping mechanisms. We call all different types of things. So when I'm overwhelmed, one of my coping mechanisms is this. I go to YouTube. And you're like, well, what do you watch on YouTube? It doesn't even matter. Sometimes I don't even know. I'm just like scrolling and watching this. Oh, wow. It's just I'm trying to distract myself. If I'm like, oh, you know what? It's the new year. I want to stop watching YouTube. Boom. What happens though? I, I'm stressed. I reach for my phone. Why? It's a pattern. It's a habit. We are not, we are not in the realm of the flesh. We have been rescued from that. And we're in the realm of the spirit. But these patterns, these habits have worked their way deeply within us. And that can look like beliefs. So many of us have false beliefs about the way the world works. We receive messages from people. And those messages get ingrained in us. And so we just, we're, oh man, we've been rescued from the flesh, but those beliefs are still there. And we don't even know we have these false beliefs. And we're living out of those false beliefs. What is that? It's a flesh pattern. They're those coping mechanisms, those false beliefs. Spiritual formation is learning new beliefs. It's learning new, new habits. It's replacing these old things with new sets of behaviors and goals and aspirations because we have fundamentally been made new. Now listen to this. This gets really good in verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. Okay, that's pretty great news. What's this saying? God's spirit lives in you and me. If you're a Christian, you are never alone. God lives in you. This, the idea of spiritual formation, of growing as a Christian, is deeply relational. It is not God saying, hey, you're made good but incomplete. 
So, I'm going to check in on you in, I don't know, 30, 40, well, you smoke, 20 years. And you better get some progress done, because when I'm back, I want to see some differences. That's not Christian spiritual formation. Or like the sign I saw once at the beach. Look busy. Jesus is coming. But he's with us. He's along the journey of growth with us. It's deeply relational. Look back at Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Too many times people hear that and they think of like, again, this. Like a, a, a court, a legal setting. Oh, I'm not guilty because of Jesus. And yes, yes, and amen. But condemnation is fundamentally relational. We were in a, rela- a covenant, a relationship, and you broke the terms. Now you got to go. You got to get out. I'm turning my face away from you. There's none of that in Christ. There is no turning of the face away. There's only turning of the face toward The power of the Spirit living in us. Jesus in us. We call that union with Christ. You are not working towards spiritual formation so God will love you more. But you are working towards something. Grace and the gospel and Jesus are not opposed to effort. But we are opposed to earning so we're, we got to attack these false beliefs. Okay, I, to, to work, to grow in the spiritual formation, I'm on my own. i got to really just figure it out. No, 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 no. That is not the case at all. What we're trying to do here, what we're trying to do as we talk about spiritual formation, is we're trying to grow in power. We're trying to grow in power. When, when Paul talks about we're not in the realm of the flesh, but we're in the realm of the spirit. Well, what is, how does he describe the spirit? Uh, look, look back with me in verse 2. Because through Christ Jesus, the power of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the power of sin and death. So we've been set free by the Spirit. Look at verse 15. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you may live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic. Paul is not trying to teach a Greek audience Aramaic. He's saying Jesus cried out to the cross, Abba, Father, intimacy. We're trying to grow in intimacy. The Spirit has set us free from fear. We're trying to grow into this intimacy that has a power to it. There is power and life in living by the Spirit. Our hope for you is that you would be empowered. Not to be me. Not to be me. What gives, like, what gives me life doesn't give up. This is the whole thing with union with Christ. If, if becoming a Christian, when the Spirit lives inside you, if that erased you, we would not call it union with Christ. We call it getting erased by God. There's no union there. In order to have union, you need to have two things coming together. You and God. So how do you, being fully you, with your story and your flaws and, and your disposition and Jesus living inside you, how do we make that marriage work? Spiritual formation. We have talked an awful lot in here about connection groups. We deeply value them. We've said this is the primary place that people connect. 
We think that, like, we're not trying to do this on our own. We need community. We need connection. And so one of the things, remember, we're not trying, we're desperately not trying to over-prescribe here. But as we start to dip our toes into saying, like, hey, here's some ideas of how you might experience more awareness of this union with Jesus. How you might grow in awareness and that it might respond with the character of Jesus. One of the ways we can do that is we're saying, hey, we want to set a goal that by mid-spring, 75% of Compass Church is involved in a connection group. There's an invitation that you become one of the 75% of us who are involved in connection groups. Why? You can't do this by yourself. Spiritual formation was never meant to be by yourself. Listen to all the relational ways Paul describes it. We, there's no condemnation. We received a spirit of adoption. We're sons and heirs. He talks about brothers and sisters. We need others to speak over. Life gets crazy when you're by yourself. Just go to New Hampshire. All those people live in the woods by themselves. It's crazy up there. We need each other. We need people speaking over us, speaking into us, speaking through us. Why? Because that creates power. There's nothing worse than watching people get stuck in their own story. But watching people get set free from flesh patterns, well, that's power. And as the great uh, spiritual for former Dallas Willard said, the more power you have, the more power you can get. That's the hope of formation. That's why we want to see you grow. As you start to see like, oh man, I have these really strong desires. Anger is one of my strongest desires. Wow, it's really powerful. Oh man, but I have the spirit. And I'm experiencing power over anger. That power can only grow. The more power you have, the more power you can get. That's spiritual formation. Now, because we live in 21st century America and postmodernism, we got to say this. Power is not the same thing as dominance. We're not saying we want you to be powerful so you can go dominate other people. Saying, so hey, you should be involved in a spiritual formation process. Well, I don't really want to. Too bad, I'm more powerful. Boom. No. We're not trying to coerce you into this. Look, on my best days, if I make a plea saying, hey, we want 75% of you in connection groups, we want you to be involved in a spiritual formation process, and you all say, no, nah, we're fine. None of that threatens my adoption as a son. None of that threatens my love. If you all say like, hey, next week we're going to another church, we're bored out of our gourds here. None of that threatens this. So we're inviting you into this process, and if you all say like, no thanks, I'm still going to do it. Like, this is, I'm not, I, I truly don't think that I'm worried about like, ah, oh, my identity's riding on this. That's the invitation for all of us. That's real power. We want you to experience that. And again, we're, dis we're doing discipleship with Monday in mind. How do you respond with the character of Jesus in your cubicles? Changing diapers. Some of us still do that. Oh. How do we respond with the character of Jesus? And the beautiful thing about this, this whole process, is that God gives us credit for all the formation that we do. Look, we say we're made for formation. Yeah, but we may be, but we didn't start this formation process. He started it. He made us new creation. You know, he put the spirit in us. We couldn't have done that. That's all grace. But then at the end of the chapter, Paul is saying this. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. Why is it a big deal to be a, a child of God? Because we're heirs. The spirit you received does not make you slaves that you may live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received 
brought about your adoption to sonship. Verse 17, now for children, we are then heirs. We inherit the kingdom. We get all the credit for this. We get the same credit Jesus gets. Why? Grace. My kids are at an age where they, they, they know how to get me. And they draw for me. And, you know, again, being a great drawer as a four-year-old is not the same thing as being a great drawer as a 40-year-old. And so sometimes I'll get pictures and I'll, I'll grab some of my kids. The, you know, what, like this past week, one of my kids drew this picture for me. And I could see the words dad and then his name on it. And I was like, oh, come here, come here, come here. Now, are we ants in this picture? He goes, no, we're superheroes. I was like, oh, yeah, yes we are. That's awesome. That's great. I couldn't even see anything. He drew it in like a neon highlighter. I was like, wow. As he left my office, though, I, have a, I opened my closet and there's a file. There's a file called Kids Drawings. And I put it in there. And I know that one day, soon, sooner than I think, they're going to have lives of their own. They're going to be gone. They're going to be doing their own thing. That file will always be there. I can pull it out. And I can see the work of their hands. That they wanted to communicate, hey, we love you, Dad. And there's going to be lots of mileage in between that. But that paper is always going to make my heart melt. That's Christian spiritual formation. God says, I made you. Good. You're not complete. There's work to be done. You've got to grow. You've got to get involved in it. And if you being an evil parent know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more does God know how to delight in our spiritual formation? That at the end of the day, when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. We get credit for the work that was only possible because of him. That's my prayer for this church community. What are we doing here? We're preparing for that day. We're trying to grow. We're not waiting out the clock. We're not like, well, where else am I going to go to church? We are intently focused. We are prioritizing on seeing Christ be formed in us. That's the invitation. What does it look like? How do we get specific? How do we disciple with Monday in mind? See you next week. Jesus, I pray, I pray that we would be moved, Lord. Yeah, that we would be moved to take up this process. That we would recognize that we have had within us this deposit of the Spirit. That you speak to us, you lead us, you guide us. And God, I pray your Spirit would lead us deeper in the formation process, that we would grow, that we would not believe our best days are behind us, but we really would get more power to have a greater awareness of your presence in our life today. Ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast is part of the ministry of Compass Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, please check out compasscfc.com.